All right, how are you guys feeling tonight? Good. I want you guys to just turn to your neighbor and say, I'm so blessed by you. <laughs> you know, since coming to Korea, I've been here for about seven years. Seven years, man, that went by really, really fast. And uh, I came in 2006. And I remember that was one of the biggest moves I ever had to make. And I still remember packing for Korea. At the time, I thought I was going to be in Korea for maybe just a year. Uh, and so I just packed certain things. I left a lot of things at home. Uh, but after coming to Korea, uh, since then, I've been on a lot of different trips. And uh, if you guys take a look at my passport, it's just... It's filled. I had to get those extra pages. Those are now filled, and now I have to get a new passport. Uh, but it's, I've been traveling constantly uh, all over the place, especially in Southeast Asia. And uh, not only that, but I've lived in three apart four different apartments since I've been in Korea. The first one was the apartment that I lived in when I was single. And the next three apartments were the apartments I lived in as a married woman. You guys know that I'm been married uh, for five years. And so I did a lot of packing in my day. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't like packing. Yeah. And I don't like unpacking either. I just don't like anything about it. And one thing in particular, especially if you're moving apartments, man, packing is like, it's just a big pain in the butt because it takes so much time to organize. If, there, if there's anything you need to know about packing, there's two things. You have to figure out what are essentials and things that need to go with you to the next place. And you have to identify what needs to get thrown out. What do you need to let go? And I don't know about you, but I lived a life being a little bit of a hoarder. And so I like, I used to collect napkins from every restaurant I visited, you know, like little keepsake matches. Like if you guys looked at my wall in high school, uh, in my, in my bedroom, all the whole, maybe two walls were filled with just crap. But, but to me, it was memorabilia. I literally pasted it on my wall, like little napkins, little things that we signed, uh, pictures, little knickknacks, like, you know, from my travels or just from hanging out with friends, you know, so a little bit of a hoarding problem. And unfortunately, I married someone who also has a hoarding problem, you know? And some of the stuff, when we were moving from apartment to apartment, we were accusing each other, like, dude, you got to throw that out, you know? No, I'm going to wear these again. Like, you haven't worn that for, like, six years. Like, just let it go. Let it go. You know, but whether it's moving apartments or whether it's just traveling to a different country, I've learned, okay, I got to identify essentials. You know, I don't know if you guys know, but, but leaving something very essential behind is never a good experience. You know, if you leave, like, I remember there was one time I left just my underwear. In general, I didn't bring a single pair of underwear with me. And that was terrible. <laughs> I remember me and my husband had to have some very interesting discussions about what to do to remedy that. But uh, you just end up buying new underwear. But anyway, still, if you, I've forgotten toothbrushes. I've forgotten face washes. I've forgotten, you know, like, if I had an outfit, I forgot the bottom half of my outfit, you know? Like, there are often times when I'm in a rush, and I'm not being intentional. I'm not being careful about what I'm packing, and I tend to leave things behind. Or I tend to overpack. You guys ever overpack before? I used to have a big problem overpacking. You know, even at Emmaus retreats, like I always, I used to bring those just wheelers. You know, everyone's bringing their duffel bags and I'd be coming in with like, 
this <laughs> ginormous suitcase. Yeah, that doesn't happen anymore. I learned my lesson. But because we're people that go from season to season, place to place, one year, 2013 to 2014, we have to learn how to deal with transition in our lives. Because whether you're staying in Korea, whether you're leaving Korea, when we walk out of these doors after tonight's large group, we're ending a season together. That's fall 2013, Emmaus semester is finished. And when you walk out, another season is going to soon begin. And whether that starts when your airplane touches down back at home, wherever you're from, whether that starts when you finish your last paper or your last exam, which I know some of you guys are itching, itching for that day to come. This is why I'm so excited. I'm not in school. Praise hallelujah. <laughs> but whether it's that transition or the next, we're constantly going to move from place to place. In effect, that word transition just means change. And I don't know if you guys are comfortable with change, but whether you're comfortable, whether you love it, whether you hate it, you got to embrace it because change is bound to happen. It will not be 2013 forever. You will not stay 23, 21, 20 years old forever. Trust me. (laughs) Trust me. You will get older. That face will not stay wrinkle-free forever. Okay, so go purchase your eye creams now. (laughs) We live in a day of change. And how we deal with change in scripture and according to God's word is imperative. You know, we go from season to season. Right now we're in winter. And now that we're in winter, I've packed away my summer clothes. You know, those cute tank tops and my little flip flops. I had to pack them away because they were just taking too much space. Until summer comes again and I have to open and pack away my winter clothes. When it deals, when we deal with transition, when it comes to change, we have to learn how to pack what is essential and we need to know how to leave behind what's not. So today, I guess I want to give you guys a little bit of a packing list. As we get ready to leave this season together, I'm pretty much going to give you a little packing list tutorial according to scripture about what is essential and what we need to let go. So I want you guys to open up your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 3. I love Proverbs. I love Proverbs. I think I really, really fell in love with the book of Proverbs in 2011. And that year, 2011, um, I started that year the first month of January and even February, pretty much at the dentist's office every single Monday which is my Sabbath. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but I'm a, I have a confession. I have a bit of an addiction in my life. Um, and I have a terrible sweet tooth. That's pretty much like, like I know it's wrong and I know I should stop. But if you open up a candy bar, like I will eat the whole thing. And I'm not talking about those like regular size, you know, the king size, you know, the box of chocolates. Like you're supposed to eat like one a day. Like I will eat it in one sitting. Like I have a problem with sweet things. I'm I'm trying to, I believe it's going to be broken off. Some of you guys don't, you're not standing with me, but unfortunately with that sweet tooth, I get a lot of cavities. And so the beginning of 2011, I had to get a lot of work done in my teeth. 
And uh, a lot of you guys know that I'm a bit of a dreamer. I think I explained this a lot at KU in particular, but I dream a lot. And God speaks to me in dreams. And leading up to 2011, I kept getting this reoccurring dream that my teeth were falling out. So I'd be like, I don't know. oh my gosh, you know? Or I'd be like eating something and I'm like, mm, mm, mm. and then I'm like, my tooth came out. And it was just like, I'd wake up panicking, like checking all my teeth and be like, whoo, it was just a dream. I remember researching a little bit what teeth can represent, and it often represents wisdom. And I was like, God, am I losing wisdom? Like, do I have no wisdom? What's going on? And in 2011, when that year started, and I was constantly in the dentist, and it was quite expensive, I remember we were dealing with cavities. It was a cavity situation. And basically, with cavities, you got to dig out the decay, and you got to put it in its place. And in my, in my case, I had to fill it with gold, right? Because gold lasts long, right? And so I just felt like God was really speaking to me, book of Proverbs. I'm going to take out the decay in your mindset. And I'm going to fill it now with gold, the gold of wisdom. Wisdom, the gold of truth. And so Proverbs became a very personal book for me. And this chapter in particular is very, 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 very personal. A verse we're going to go over today is what brought both Pastor Christian and myself to Korea. Obviously, we didn't plan that one, but we were both leaning on this verse during that time. And if you guys know about the book of Proverbs, most of it is written, it's attributed to King Solomon, but not all of it. It's, it's a book of wisdom, and so there's a couple of authors. I think it's estimated like three or four authors uh, of the book of Proverbs, and they're all giving insight and wisdom to the next generation. And so if you look in the beginning of Proverbs, you'll constantly see, my son, my son, my son. And so at face value, it kind of seems like it's a book for like some young boy, um, you know, King Solomon's son or whatever, and it has nothing to do with us. But, you know, you guys all know that scripture is God breathed. Amen. And this wasn't just a book uh, inspired uh, by God just for Solomon's son, but this was an inspired work for you and I. And so we're going to be looking at chapter three in particular. You know, this is like what King Solomon wanted to leave behind to his son. If anything, this is, was his packing list for his son. Don't forget these things. Even if I leave you, even if we deal with the transition of my death, don't forget these things. I'm leaving this with you. And so look at Proverbs chapter 3. We're going to be reading eight verses together, verses 1 to 8. Uh, I'll read the first verse. So you guys read the second. Uh, my son, do not forget my teaching. But let your heart keep my commandments. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. All right, everybody say amen. So I told you guys that I wanted to give you guys a bit of a packing list. So let's break it down verse by verse and see what, are, that what we're supposed to be considering as essentials in our walk with God. The first words that are spoken is my son. And we'll just stop there. My son, 
This revelation of my son, I hope you understand, isn't just for Solomon's literal son. But this is a revelation that all of us need to continuously be walking in as a core essential. My son is a testimony to our salvation. The only reason that you and I can read my son and say this is talking to me is because through Jesus Christ's blood, we have been adopted into sonship. Now we can call God our heavenly father. That's basic. If you don't have the assurance of salvation, we're not going anywhere here. We got to start in this place. You are a son of God. Now I know that a lot of ladies want to, you know, hold up. I'm a daughter of God. And in some translations, they, have, they write children of God. But I really don't feel like that encompasses what this means. Because sons, back in this time, they were the ones to get inheritance. It was the sons. And now in this time and age, on this side of the cross, that inheritance, what represents the inheritance of God, doesn't belong to just the men. Ladies say amen. amen. This belongs to both the men and women. But that word son encompasses that. That what we're about to get is because we have the inheritance in God. And that goes for all of us. Neither male nor female nor Greek nor Jew, God began to separate the dividing walls down after Christ was resurrected. And so in that same way, my son, we got to start there. It's our salvation message. Make sure y'all pack that when you go, okay? Second, do not forget my, what? Teaching. Do not forget my teaching. That word teaching in Hebrew is Torah. And it's what a lot of Jewish culture, it's their Bible. It's the Torah. It's the law of Moses. It's the commandments. But I believe that it's deeper than that. Do not forget my teaching also represents all of the revelations that you guys received in this season. At this hour in fall 2013, God is saying, don't forget. Do not forget all of those insights. Wow, God, you're faithful. Wow, God, you're supernatural. Those revelations are not tied down to this zip code and to this area and to this country. This is something that needs to follow you everywhere that you go. Do not forget my teaching. And watch this. But let your heart keep my commandments. That word heart in Hebrew is leb, and it's not just like, I don't know, when I hear heart, it's like, oh, my heart, you know, I don't know why I think that in that voice, but my heart, but <laughs> what it means, leb, is my mind, my will, my emotions, it's my inner man, my inner being, my conscience, let my conscience, let my mind, let my will, let my emotions keep your commandments. You know, for a lot of you guys, you don't have a problem keeping the commandments in your mind. But when it comes to your emotions, you just let it go. Oh, but I'm having a bad day. And it's like you got the right to be nasty all day. Because somebody stepped on your foot, some ajma pushed you out. And you forget that the joy and the peace comes from the Lord, not our circumstances. And you get counsel from people and you're like, I already know that. But your emotions, your decisions don't match that truth. If that's the case, you are not obeying this scripture completely. In order to complete this, you got to allow your mind, your will, and your emotions to keep God's commandment. That word keep is an active word. It means to guard, to watch over, like to protect. 
You got to protect God's word in your life. I talked about this at, at KU, uh, preaching about Psalm 119. You know, um, there's a pastor at New Philly. His name is uh, Pastor John Newfeld. Well, his name is John Newfeld, not Pastor John Newfeld. I always make that mistake. Like, my name is Pastor Aaron. No, it's not. So Pastor John Newfeld, he uh, is married, and they have a baby on the way. Uh, really excited. It's precious daughter. But I remember when John was getting ready to propose to Anita. And he flew back to Canada, um, and during this time, he picked up the engagement ring. Okay? This was an expensive ring, a display of his love and affection and his commitment to her. And he was describing to me how paranoid he was when he put that ring in his bag. Now, obviously, you're not going to put a diamond ring in one of your bags that you check in, right? Because you know those people steal stuff, right? Just, just to let you know, don't check in your laptops or things because they will take your stuff, especially if in your New York. Just saying. <laughs> Like, I've gone through JFK, my bag's all tore up, like, you know, like, ripped into. Anyway, that's a tidbit for you guys. But he, instead of checking it in, he obviously brought that really expensive treasure as a carry-on. And uh, Anita was with him, unknowing that this engagement ring was, like, in his bag. You know, she had no idea. And, but he's, like, freaking out. And she's like, why is he so tense, you know? And so he's, like, carrying his bag. and like, <laughs> You know, just, like, walking around and, like... When it was time to go in the seat, you know, it's like, oh, do you want to put your bag in the... No, 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 I'm going to keep it right here. Like, he was guarding that bad boy because it was so costly and expensive and precious to him. He was keeping watch because this was a treasure to him that he wanted to give his future fiance now wife. I wonder if we have that same kind of mentality and attitude towards the word of God. When God says that you're wonderfully and fearfully made, are you protecting that? Are you guarding that? Or are you leaving it behind for any old person to snatch up and take away? When you hear the words that it's only through petition and through prayer, thanksgiving, that we can have a peace that guards our hearts and our minds, that truth that we have access to peace like that, are you guarding that truth with your heart or are you just letting anybody checking it in so people at JFK can steal your word? We got to keep the commandments of God. When you read keep, it sounds like a very passive word. Oh, just keep, hold on to it. No, it's aggressive. Keep watch, guard, let nobody take that word from you. It's your word. You got to possess it. So my son, do not forget my teaching. Let not your heart keep, uh, but let your heart keep my commandments for the length of days and years of life and peace. They will add to you. This is the result. When you don't forget the teaching, when you protect the commandments of God, when you protect the word of God, the result is this length of days will length of days and years of life and peace will add to you. That sounds pretty good. The new living translation, it says this, if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. I love the NLT. Sometimes I just look it up like, what are they going to say? You know, how are they going to translate this one? I don't think it's like an official translation. I think it's like an interpretation. Um, but if you do this, you will live many years and your life will be satisfying. I was curious, where did they get that word satisfying from this verse? But if you look at that word peace, it's shalom. And that word shalom means completeness, soundness, welfare, and it also means contentment, 
Isn't that interesting? To be content is shalom. Deuteronomy 30, 16. I want you guys to open up your Bibles there. I want to show you just how important it is to guard the commandments of God, to love it. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 16. And I'll just read it out for you guys, but I want you to just read with me in your Bibles. It says, if you obey the commandments of the Lord your God that I command you today by loving the Lord your God, by walking in his ways and by keeping his commandments and his statutes and his rules, then you shall live and multiply. And the Lord God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. Look at that latter half. Then you shall live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you in the land that you are entering to take possession of it. This is a direct promise to you and I that when we abide by God's command, whatever season is ahead of us, we will be fruitful and multiply if we love God with all of our hearts. If we love his commandments. This word was given in the context of the Israelites about to enter in the promised land. This is something that was promised to Abraham. Years and years and years ago, they just went through slavery. I mean, can you imagine? Like, God's not going to follow through. But here they were at the brink of getting out of Israel, uh, getting out of Egypt, being led out by Moses. And they're about to go through the wilderness and enter into the promised land. And God is saying, as you enter into this new season, you better not forget to pack this. Love me. Love my commandments. That's what it means to love God. People are like, oh, I love God. But they don't love his commandments. You know, those two go together. If you have a problem with God's word, you got a problem with God. If you are selective about what you want to obey in accordance to scripture, you are being selective about what you like or love about who God is. This is all of who he is. We got to have that same passion that we say we do about who God the Father is as we do to the scriptures. All right, next verse. We just got one verse. Lord, help us. Verse number three. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. So you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. You know, whenever I read this verse, I always thought that this was talking about steadfast love and faithfulness that I was supposed to have. Oh, let steadfast love. Okay. I'm supposed to be loving steadfast and let faithfulness. I'm supposed to be faithful. Bind that around my neck. I thought that it was describing just attributes that I had to become or obey, but it's very interesting. When you study scripture, that actually is not what the author is implying. I want you guys to turn with me to Exodus 34, 6. This is why you got to not just read your Bible. You got to study your Bible because when you study it, there's so much more treasure that um, you're able to find than what you read at just face value. But Exodus 34, 6 is just a really powerful um, passage. It is when Moses is about to receive the Ten Commandments, you know, the two tablets. I don't know if you guys ever watched. Was it the movie called, was it called Ten Commandments? 
Is that like too old for you guys? You guys know that movie? Yeah. Okay. It's like a really old, but it's a classic. Um, anyway, so here Moses is on, uh, I believe, Mount Sinai, and he's having this like hardcore revelation encounter with God. And this is what God says to him on this mountaintop. It says, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Isn't that interesting? Steadfast love and faithfulness. That combination was used to describe the character of God. So what I believe Proverbs 3 is actually saying is not, is not talking about writing on the tablet of your heart your own steadfast love and your faithfulness. I believe that what it's saying is write on the tablet of your heart God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. This is about understanding that the revelation of his love that you received, that moment when you felt his embrace, that encounter that you had, the the series of circumstances that he orchestrated for you where you were like, wow, God, you are faithful, that these are things that should never leave you, but you should bind those stories around your neck and you should write them on the tablet of your heart. The problem with God's people is we too easily forget. We're forgetful bunch. Let's just be real here. I barely remember what happened yesterday. At the beginning of my week on Mondays, I try to take time every Monday to write down, God, what did you do this week? And I just list every testimony that I can think of, whether it's small or big. God, someone got me a cookie today. You love me. (laughs) Even as something as simple as I worship God for something like that, you know what I'm saying? To something more extreme, God, you healed my mom from this sickness Whatever small, no matter how large, I make it a habit to remember what God has done. To try to think back, God, what did you do this week? Because I want to be a person that binds those stories of his love and of his faithfulness around my neck. When you go through new circumstances, new situations, when you encounter change, the first thing that the devil's going to try to do is to steal the very revelation that God is faithful And that is love is steadfast. Just like we got to protect his word, just like that diamond ring that John was carrying around. We also need to bind the testimony around our neck. We got to write it on the tablet of our hearts. Isn't that interesting? That sequence in Exodus 34 that we were just reading, it was talking about the tablets of stone. And God and having Moses inscribe the commandments. But here, it's so similar. It's talking about, again, the steadfast love and the faithfulness of God. But this time, instead of writing on a piece of stone, God is saying, now write it on your heart. God doesn't do stones anymore. That's like back in the day. That's old school. We have now improved. And now when God wants to download, when he wants something to be inscribed in you, he writes it on your heart. And again, not this like, oh, little heart, beep, 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 beep. I'm talking about your mind, your will, and your emotions. You know, Pastor Jamie preached a bomb message at Yonsei last Tuesday, talking about the witness and how we, we are called to be faithful to the witness, basically our testimonies. And she was like going at it, like, what are you going to do with your witness? And I was like, oh my gosh, like I wanted to go out and start telling everybody about Jesus. Like just, it was intense. But one thing that she said that really, really like stood out to me was don't allow other people to shape your experience. 
And don't allow circumstances. Don't give that authority to somebody else to be like, that wasn't God. Or that's not right. You got tongues. What is that? God doesn't give tongues anymore. You know, like whatever situation. I'm not telling you to be like clueless. I'm telling you that the authority of your experience should always be based on scripture, not somebody else's opinion. If you have a spiritual encounter that does not align with scripture, listen, you gotta, we gotta talk. If somebody tells you, you know, I am the new Moses, you know, or I'm the next Jesus and you know, come and be my 44th wife or whatever that may be. Listen, that ain't in scripture. You better walk away fast from that situation. But I'm talking about experiences that, you know, it was truly God. And we can confirm that in who God is in the Bible with these experiences. You can't let somebody else tell you or change that experience for you just because they didn't experience it. You got to hold fast. You got to bind your testimony around your neck. And let me be real here. Not everybody's going to celebrate what God has done in your life. Let me just make that crystal clear. Everyone here is high five. You got tongues. What? Face, Facebook, it's Instagram, you know, us in the park and the, you know, whatever. Yeah, we might get excited, but not everybody's going to get excited for you. You're going to get questioned. You're going to get, you know, like, what kind of church is that? You know, people are going to be asking all sorts of questions like, you what? There's a lady that preaches. I don't know about that church. Better bring them to me. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, scripture also says, don't throw your pearls to swine. That's like a really like harsh terminology. Don't throw your pearls to swine. You know why? Because swine will crample, uh, crample trample on your pearls. They'll crush them. What the scripture is saying is be wise about who you share what with. Don't go around just, oh my gosh, look at this, you know, because people will try to straight up trample on your revelation and your experience. But if you're led by the spirit and you open up to who God is saying, now share, man, that's when you're going to see power encounters. Even if that person totally rejects what you're saying, if you obey the voice of the spirit, God will reward you simply because of your faith. Simply because of your faith. Man, I've evangelized and I've tried to pray for people and get words of knowledge for people. And time and time again, I got straight up rejected with anger. Like people were like, oh, no, thank you. They're like, what? You want to pray for me? Like, it's like as if I wanted to like stab them, you know, like, like, no, I just want to pray for you and just get really upset, you know, because the gospel message is offensive. It's offensive. And unfortunately, sometimes even our experiences with God can be offensive to other believers. And I want you guys to be wise about it. But no matter what the reaction, no matter what the response, no matter how people take what happened to you, whether they celebrate it, whether they hate on you, one thing is for sure. You better never let that leave your heart. You better tie that around your neck. God, this is my history with you. That night, I felt your love for the first time. You can't just let that go because someone said, I don't know about that. I shared this with some of the girls early on in a Yonsei. I, I was part of a sorority in college. And uh, it was an Asian sorority. <sighs> I know some of you guys are judging me right now, but listen. 
Yeah, I was, I was wild. I did this sorority. And as we were pledging for this sorority, I don't know if you guys all are familiar with what a sorority is, but it's kind of like a club, but you have to work really hard to get in the club. Like you have to work to even get accepted to work hard to get in the club, but it's this very like, I don't know how to explain, exclusive. It's very exclusive. And to actually get into this sorority club, you have to prove yourself to the existing club members. Okay, so I hope that explains a little bit of the kind of intensity of it. And then once you get included, then you become one of those people that, you know, make it hard for the next group of people uh, that want to be part of the club. Overall, the experience is supposed to be very positive. And I'm not bashing all sororities. It's not all like that for, you know, different ones. There's academic clubs, academics, fraternities, and things like that. But in my particular sorority experience, when we were pledging, I remember hearing of this, like, urban, like, legend of, like, pledging. And what we were told, me and my pledge sisters, this is a group of girls that we were trying to get in the club together, They were saying, oh my gosh, I heard one story where they line you up and they make you undress. All the sisters, they make you undress. And then the existing club members or sorority sisters, they take a permanent marker and they walk around and they circle the areas of your body that are not like good. You know, like these hips are too big or, you know, that neck is too skinny or, you know, like that thumb, you got a nasty thumb, you know, like whatever it may be. But they, they walk around with this permanent marker. This was like the urban legend. You know, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm not sure if that actually happened, but I remember that was something that we had heard at the time. That didn't happen to me. Don't worry about it. But I remember just being like appalled, like who would, who would allow, like if you were a girl, like no matter how cool this club was, Like, why would you let them sharpie you, you know, and be like, your nose is big or whatever. Like, you obviously get dressed, you know, and walk. Like, naturally in my mind, I was like, what idiot, like, what a moron. How stupid can you be to allow somebody to mark you up like that? But as I thought about it, I realized, man, God, we do this all the time. We give people all around a sharpie, here's a sharpie, here's a sharpie, here's a sharpie. Now, Mark, and tell me what's wrong with me. Tell me what's wrong with me. Oh, I'm not, I'm not funny enough. I'm not beautiful enough. We allow society to tell us, oh, you're beautiful and you're not. Your nose is nice and your nose is not that nice. You know, you got the good hair, you got that bad hair. Whatever it may be, we allow, we give people sharpies and we allow them to mark our bodies up. But as believers, we also give people sharpies to mark up our experiences with God, our journey with God. What I'm trying to say is the only sharpie that you need in your life is this. Do not give anybody. It's just as foolish as those girls standing there. I want to be in a club, so I'm going to let the mark of my eyebrows that are uneven, you know, and and my ears that, you know, whatever, no, no matter how ridiculous it was, it's foolishness. It's that same kind of foolishness to give anybody the authority to tell you who God is to you. It's got to just come from this. And you know, when preachers preach, I hope you guys understand that even when I preach to you, that my only sole purpose, my, my desire when I preach is not to tell you my opinion. I'm not here to tell you what I think. And what I've gathered from my multitude of experiences and my knowledge. And no, I'm simply here to tell you what this says. That's it. 
when we face change, when we face differences, when we face new experiences, remember only one person should have the Sharpie. And by the way, God isn't marking you up and saying, you nasty here and, you know, you so sinful there and you got that problem over here. No, God is saying you're wonderfully and fearfully made. He's saying, I put this gold and this destiny inside of you. He's saying that through you, your family is going to have great um, breakthrough. He's saying that you're worthy. You got to hear what God is saying, and you got to allow that to be the permanent voice that leaves you with who you are. So let God write on the tablet of your heart. It's got to be his words. It's got to be his love. It's got to be his faithfulness that marks that up. Nobody else. Verses 5 to 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will keep your path straight. I'm sorry. I'm, I memorized it, NIV, so I'm reciting it, NIV. Um, let me read the ESV. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make, your, he will make straight your paths. All right, that word trust, let's start there. How many of you guys, is it easy for you to trust? When we hear that word trust, often we put it in the context of trust needs to be earned. And trust is also so easily and quickly broken. It takes so long to get, and it takes just a small thing to break it completely. That word trust in accordance to scripture, it's a Hebrew word, batach. I look at David, I have no idea. <laughs> um, no, that's how you say it. I looked it up. <laughs> I just wanted to educate you just in case you forgot. <laughs> that word trust in Hebrew, it means to have confidence and to be secure. Everybody say be secure. Be secure, be secure in the Lord. Have confidence in the Lord. With all of your heart. There's that word heart again. Leb. What is it? Mind, will, emotions. Trust in the Lord. Does it say trust in Emmaus? Does it say trust in New Philly? Does it say trust in Pastor Aaron or Rona or Tina? Does it say trust in your situation only in Korea? What does it say? It says trust, have confidence, be secure in the community. No. In the Lord. There's only one thing that is unchanging, and that is simply who God is. And I know a lot of you guys are feeling like, man, if I don't have Emmaus, if I don't have my familiar leader, if I don't have my bromance brothers who I hand hug, if I don't have, you know, whoever, my Sam Keel. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? How am I going to do this? How am I going to be able to thrive? My church back home is like this, or I didn't even go to church back at home. Or my college ministry is like this or that or whatever. Then my response to you is simply this. Get it straight. Be secure in the Lord with all of your heart. Emmaus is not about Emmaus. We're here to manifest the Lord. Your familiar leader is not trying to puff her or himself up. They're simply trying to point to the Lord. 
Every Bible study that you went through during your familia was all pointing to the Lord. If your trust is still in us, we did it wrong. I hope that even when you leave, if you don't remember a single thing about my message, that you remember this part alone. Trust in him. He is your security. Be secure. You know, when you face new things, it's easy to feel a little bit unsafe. You know, when you, when you do a new uh, sport or when you do a new activity, when you go to a new place, when you meet new people, some personalities, you can just walk in and feel confident. But often, if it's something that you're very, very unfamiliar with, your natural tendency, your natural temptation is to feel very insecure. And that insecurity can fall into two places. One is insecure about yourself. Man, am I good enough? Am I strong enough? Am I athletic enough? In the situation of, of spirituality, am I spiritual enough? Do I know my word enough? Do I pray hard enough? And we become insecure about who we are and what we're able to do. Man, if I get into the situation with my old friends and they start asking me to do the things that we used to do, am I going to be able to handle that? If I go back to my house where my family is, and there's some people in my family that drive me crazy, am I still going to be able to be changed in that situation? Will you begin to doubt yourself? The second type of insecurity that I want to talk about is being insecure because of your circumstances. Man, all my friends are like this. So rather than feeling insecure about you, you feel insecure about your situation. Because my situation, my community is not strong, I'm in trouble. Because my church is not strong, I'm in trouble. Because my ministry back at home or whatever setting, all of these different things, you see holes, you see flaws. And when you begin to put your security in circumstances or you try to put security in yourself, we're all in trouble. Because circumstances will always change. And you know what? You're always going to change too. But it's only God who is unchanging. It's not about what you can do. It says in the word that Jesus, he's the perfecter. He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. We don't conjure faith up on our own. It's Christ that puts faith in us. We, we get no credit, guys. I don't know if you figure that out yet. But we don't get credit. Because it's not about what we've done. It's all about what God has done in us. And because of that, when we trust in him, it's in that place we can be fully secure. No matter how, how strange the situation is going to be. No matter if all your friends are still doing drugs. No matter if all of your friends are still partying like they used to. Or your friends are atheists and can't stand Christians. You will stand in that place and you will know what to do and how to act. Because God will be your security. Trust in the Lord. Watch this. And do not lean on your own understanding. Everybody say, I will not lean on my own understanding. There's a problem. It's an epidemic. And we all have it, including myself, where I'm constantly trying to lean on my own understanding. The ESV study Bible, it, it defines it like this. One's understanding in Proverbs is his perception of the right course of action. This is my idea of what's right. That's your understanding. We can't lean on our, under, our own understanding. It's way too limited. 
We have to learn how to simply lead in just trusting in God's goodness. Remember the verse previous is what? To let his steadfast love and his faithfulness be bound around our neck. It's from that place we can trust in him. Another word for trust is integrity. To believe that someone has integrity. I trust Nikki because I think she's got integrity. So when she says, hey, PE, I'll meet you at 4 o'clock, I believe her. Because she's someone that does what she says. That's why I trust her. That's integrity. But when we go through certain things with God, and we're like, God, I thought you said this, but you didn't do this. All of a sudden, God's integrity gets questioned. What happened? I thought you were a God that loves me. Why is my family like this? Why is my situation like this? And we begin to try to doubt who God is. And there's a lot of Christians where we struggle with unforgiveness, not towards other people, but actually carrying unforgiveness towards God. We walk around with disappointment. I can't trust God no more because, you know, he said that he was going to do this and he didn't do that. And we got to learn how to handle the things that don't go our way. Because what it means to have disappointment against God it means that we're trusting in our own understanding. God, to me, this is what you should have done. To me, this was the right course of action. You set the standard for what God is supposed to do. And when he doesn't do it, you are left disappointed. There are things that I know scripture says God is going to heal. God is going to save. God breaks through. And even those very words, sometimes we don't see it come to fulfillment. Let's be real here. Some of your prayers haven't been answered. Have you guys ever experienced that? Where you're basing your prayer on something in scripture, but it's not being answered. How do you deal with that? What do you say? God, you're not trustworthy. You didn't do what you're going to say. You, you got that idea of integrity. I can't trust that you're someone that is going to execute. In those moments, you got to understand, Lord, even in my own understanding, of this situation and the way that I've applied scripture in this situation, I will not lean on what I think right now, but I'm simply going to be secure in two facts. One, that you have steadfast love and that you are faithful. I don't care what God has done to disappoint you. Those two truths are always true. I've seen people die that I've prayed for. I've lost my own you know, child in the beginning of this year, I prayed for, I laid hands on a dead baby, not my baby. I laid hands on a cold baby and prayed for the death to come to life. I've stepped out and done things in faith. I prayed for blind eyes to be open and walked away with nothing happening. And in those moments, the devil is going to taunt you and be like, what did I tell you? You can't trust God. What did I tell you? He doesn't do what he says. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? And in those moments, I have to say to myself, devil, shut up. God is good and nothing changes that. Even if things don't go my way, God is good. Even if I feel like my prayers aren't being answered, God is good. You have every reason to rejoice no matter what you face in this next season of your life because God is good. And you know why he's good? He's good because he saved you. What do we start this proverb with? My son, I told you, set your foundation on that one truth. No matter what happens after my son, you have no reason. You have no reason 
to ever hold unforgiveness towards God. And if you do, it's because you're holding on to your own understanding. I'm saying this because I hear time and time again, students that go through the next seasons and they get disillusioned. God, I thought it was going to happen this way. I started a prayer team and I thought I was going to see this. And I went to my pastor and and I told him about what happened. I thought he was going to get excited. And they've seen things where they've been disappointed. And time and time again, I have to tell them, just trust God. He's still good. Don't let that shake your experience and what you have and what you know about him. That's the mark of a Christian because it's never promised in scripture that life is going to be easy. You can't show me a single verse that says that God is going to make our life easy. He's going to make it full. We're going to have joy. We're going to have peace. But he's also very clear. We're going to get persecuted and we're going to get tested. And it's foolish for us to think that we're not going to go through hardships. But what's deceptive is that even though we go through hardships, the truth is we can still thrive. I'm telling you, pack it in your suitcase. You may not feel like, oh, this message does not talk to me right now. But trust me, pack it in your suitcase. Because you're going to wake up one day and you're going to be like, dang, I needed that word. You're going to open up in your suitcase. And, oh, snap. Peace, peace said that I got I to gotta trust God no matter what. And you're going to hold on to that. Pack it in. It's imperative. Be secure in him and him alone. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. That word acknowledge in Hebrew means yada. I never knew that. I don't know if you guys know about that word yada, but it means to know and to know intimately. In fact, when Adam and Eve got together, they used that word yada. Adam knew Eve. That's like a really intense, intimate moment, you know? Like he yada Eve. But anyway, it's this word to know. And it says here in the scripture that we're called to acknowledge him. In all of our ways, we're called to acknowledge, we're called to know, to yada him. Another word for yada in English translation would be to perceive, to perceive him. No matter what you face, I'm telling you, pack this in your suitcase. No matter what you face, acknowledge that God is with you. That's like a game changer right there. Know that he is with you. You know, when you go through trials, the first thing that we do is, where are you? Why have you forsaken me? God. You know, like God doesn't care. Oh, he left. God doesn't. When we face certain trials, are immediately we assume that God has left. That he's not with you. But here's what scripture says. Check it. Perceive him. Yada him. Know that God is still very much with you. In Isaiah chapter 43, I love this verse, 18 to 19, it says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of the old. Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. That word perceive is yada. Do you not yada? This is what it's saying. Even if the condition of where you're going to is a desert, even if what you feel like you're about to face is going to be a wilderness, 
Watch this. If you perceive that God is with you, he will make a way. And he will bring rivers in the desert. That's powerful. That's powerful. And even in this verse, it says, you better make sure that you leave this behind. I'm saying pack everything I just said, but leave this behind is remember not the former things. The person that you used to be, you don't need to pack that person. The identity of, of not feeling good enough, just leave that behind. What God has already destroyed, don't revive. You know what I mean? Like, don't resurrect the old self. It's already been done. We've walked away from it. Don't pack that in. Don't pack that in. Leave that behind. Let that go. And in your suitcase needs to go the new identity that you've now obtained. I'm free. I'm a warrior. I'm a powerful, anointed man or woman of God. You guys believe that? To acknowledge God in all things, all of your ways. You know what that does? This is the result. He will make your paths straight. And ESV, he will make straight your paths. This means that as you continue to trust in him with all of your heart, not just, oh, I know I'm supposed to trust in God, but today I don't feel like it. No, with everything, all of you, and you acknowledge him in every situation, even if you feel like God abandoned you, no, God, I acknowledge that you're with me. If you understand how to do that, if you know how to do that in faith, then the result is he will keep your path straight. That means you will be where you need to be. Your path straight, that, that word straight means to, up, uh, to be upright, righteous, that he will keep you on the righteous path. And that word straight, um, that word upright is accordance to what God says is upright, not your interpretation of it. You guys understand? Sometimes we say, God, this is what we want to happen. Now I'm going to trust in you with all my heart. And I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. But in all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge you and you're going to do what I say. That's not what the word of God says. It says to trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. To acknowledge him in all your ways. And he's going to keep straight your paths. Meaning it's his determination. Meaning he's going to keep you where he wants you to be. Which means that it's not your way. It's his way. That's refreshing. Because he does immeasurably more than what you can ask for or imagine. Even the best thing you thought for yourself is still too low. God does it so much better than we do and that we can ever even think for of ourselves. And that includes the ups and the downs, the great seasons and the tough seasons. Regardless, God has it in his hands to keep us walking the righteous path. This is good news. The last thing I want you guys to pack with you is be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Turn to your neighbor and say, be not wise in your own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. You know what happens when we experience incredible spiritual things? If we're not paying close attention, we get a little bit prideful. 
And we, when we come into a, a situation where we meet somebody who hasn't been through what we've been through, all of a sudden we consider ourselves higher. The moment you do that, you've stepped out. You stepped out of God's heart. Scripture says to consider others more better than you. When you start thinking, oh, what, you don't know about tongues? Oh, <laughs> well, let me tell you about what tongues. You know, like when we start allowing and attributing what we have, oh, you know what, I've been here for three years, and I'm a, I'm a student leader, and, you know, I've been through it all, and, oh, you're so cute, you're so new, and. Be not wise in your own eyes. When you go to this next stage, whether it's the next year of your life, whether it's the next semester here in Korea, whether it's going to be the next season back at home, whether you're visiting home for winter vacation, you're seeing your family, you're seeing people that are broken, you're seeing people that don't know the love of God, you're seeing people that never experienced him like that. Be not wise in your own eyes, but love. Be not wise in your own eyes. When you begin to depend on yourself and your own experiences, we're going to have trouble. I don't care what kind of revelation, vision, download dreams. I don't care about the angels ascending and descending over your head. I don't care about the chapters of the scripture that you memorized. Be not wise in your own eyes. This is a clear word for us to stay in the place of humility above all things. Instead, what are we supposed to do? It says, fear the Lord. That word fear means to be in reverence of who God is, to revere or to respect. Respect God, meaning respect that he's the one that did that in your life. Did you know? It wasn't you. It was God who transformed you. Respect who God is. Fear who God is. And in turn, as we respect who God is, it says this, turn away from evil. That word turn away, you can use that word renounce. A lot of you guys renounced some stuff. You confessed, you repented, and you renounced. I turn away from getting drunk. I turn away from fornication. I turn away from unforgiveness. I turn away from bitterness. I turn away. You guys have already started the process of turning away from the things that are not of God. Keep it there. Forsake it. When you do this, verse eight, it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. What am I saying? Pack this. Don't forget the teaching. Keep the commandments written on your heart. Protect that. Let steadfast love and faithfulness, the revelation of God's steadfast love, and the revelation of God's faithfulness never leave you. Bind it around your neck. Write it. On the tablet of your heart. Trust in God, not in anybody else. Trust in God. With all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, perceive, acknowledge that God is with you, and He will make your make straight your paths. 
And be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, respect him, and turn away from all evil. And it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. This is my assignment to you. I thought and thought, man, what are the last words I want to leave with these students for this semester? My assignment to you is this. Process your semester. If you haven't, write down a list of everything that God has done. I want you to literally sit down and write it out. Everything that you can think of. Write it down. In a journal, not on a piece of paper that you're going to throw away. Not on a napkin. Like in a journal that you're going to hold to. Write it all down. And when you go back to wherever you need to go to next, time and time again, I want you to open up that journal and read it. That's my practical step for you guys. Read it. You know, I have about 15 journals front to back since I came to Korea. I used to never journal before coming. The most I journal was maybe in high school, and that's when I used to do Dear Diary. And it was all about boys. <laughs> like every single entry was like, oh, my gosh, you know, I want to marry so-and-so. So I have one entry when I was like in fifth grade talking about this one kid. <laughs> I was going to say his name, but I was like, that's kind of weird. Um, this little cute white boy. Uh, but I have about 15 journals that I kept from the first, um, my first week in Korea. I think I read a portion to church once, and everybody, like, thought it was, it was so funny because it was me F-bombing every other word. I was like, what the? And then me checking out boys. Like, that, that was my journal entry in the beginning, and then it slowly started to change. Uh, but... I kept a journal, and I go back, and I read it time to time. I go back, and I just sit there. I just get a cup of coffee or a cup of tea, and I just sit there, and I read. And when I read through, man, I am reminded of God's steadfast love and his faithfulness. And when I'm reminded of his steadfast love and his faithfulness, I'm refreshed with a new faith to trust in him. Whenever I face a really trying time, I always go back to journals. Whenever I face times that I'm like, God, I don't know if I can believe you for this. Like, and I've hit those moments, for real. I'm a pastor. And like, I'm supposed to always believe. But let's be real here. I've hit moments where I'm like, this is really hard for me to believe that you're for me right now. When I feel like everything's coming against me. And I know my mind says that it's true. But like every other part, my will and my emotions, it's just not in alignment. And when those moments happen, I just go back and I just bust open journals and I'm reminded, man, God, you're faithful. You are good. That's why I'm able to recite stories verbatim. If you guys ever listen to me preach, I talk about dreams very specifically. I talk about situations. I give very, like, pretty good details. The only reason I'm able to do that is because I write everything down. And since of my first Sunday in church, I took notes for every single sermon I've listened to. I don't sit there and think, oh, that was good. I'm probably going to remember that on my own. No, you're not. You're going to forget that in about 15 minutes after you eat dinner. <laughs> write it down. When you write it on a piece of paper, it helps to write it on your heart. It's just a very practical and true thing. Even if you're not a writer, write it down. Because you're, it's easy to forget what God has done. But when you write it down, and even better, when you share with somebody else that truth and that revelation will stay uh, much more intact in your heart than if you don't. I know it was a little bit of an intense message. I mean, do I preach any other kind of message? 
But what I want to say to you guys is I have crazy hope for this next season. And I have high expectations for how God is going to multiply the blessings that you receive this semester. And I'm well aware that you're going to face some things that may not be easy, but I believe that not only are you guys going to overcome, but you're going to get stronger and more in love with the Lord during those seasons. I have so much hope for you because I've seen what God has done in your life up till now. And the thing about God is, is he's faithful to finish what he started. And he started a powerful work in each and every single one of you guys. And so I'm expecting to see how he's going to continue to finish. Don't be afraid. Don't be anxious. Trust in God. I want you guys to close your eyes. I'm just going to read one more verse to you. Jeremiah 17, 7 says this, and I want you to literally, as soon as you hear the word, I want you to imagine it writing, being written on your heart. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream, roots by the stream and does not fear when heat comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. I believe that God is calling you to a new level of trust in him. And as you make him your trust, he's expelling all fear. Because no matter when the heat comes, and it doesn't say if the heat comes, it says when the heat comes. Your leaves will still remain green. You will not be anxious, even in the years of drought, when you feel like things are dry around you. Because even during that time, you will not cease to bear fruit. This is your destiny. This is your calling. These are the plans that God has for you, not to harm you, but to give you a hope and a future. But it all starts here. Do you trust him? Above all other things. And so I want to give an opportunity for those of you that have been struggling with that. Struggling with trusting God for your future. Struggling with anxiety about this next step. Struggling with with foreseeing how the paths are going to be kept straight. You've been struggling with that. If that's you and you desire...